Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. everyone so good to, to see I was going to say see you all but clearly there are only sort of 10 15 people in the room um, it's a pleasure to be here and and God is here absolutely and as Chloe and the worship team were singing in the room you could feel and sense God's presence so it's been quite a year hasn't it um, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say we're living in a time of very real concern Many in the world are being touched by the same suffering with the range of global issues we've witnessed and continue to witness. You may know someone close to you who has lost a loved one or, or a job. Many of us have been away from family and some have had weddings postponed due to the pandemic. You know, there's a term that's become quite popular um, in the 20th, 21st century, uh, a term that says VUCA, that the world is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. I think it's an apt description for our current world. On the other hand, some of you may have actually quite enjoyed being in lockdown. Um, maybe your business is, is growing. Um, indeed, you know, looking at the number of lockdown babies we've seen in V61, some people certainly have um, been enjoying uh, being in lockdown. And that's great. Um, whatever situation you find yourself in today or tomorrow, I want to say some things today about the hope we have in Jesus. For those who aren't aware, we began looking at Advent recently. So Phil um, talked about the incarnation of Jesus, as in the coming of, uh, the coming of Jesus as a child. And now today, in this second and final part, I'll be saying a few words about what Jesus' return and the hope we have in Jesus means. And so I want to do this for all of you listening at home, wherever you're listening, whether you're in pottering around the kitchen um, or in your front room. I really hope that these words connect with you today. I want to do this by asking three questions. What does Jesus say about who we are really? Where is time and history going? And where does that leave us today? So who are you really? Where is time and history going? And where does it leave us today? Okay, so now this is where we left off uh, uh, just prior to the, uh, to the mute fiasco or unmute fiasco. Um, who are you really? Understanding our purpose on earth in this life is essential to both our lives now and into eternity. You see, to understand our future hope in Jesus, it's important we understand our present reality. And Jesus brings us reliable information about who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. So I want to ask you, who would you say you really are? And why do you exist? Most days I'll find myself asking these uh, existential questions. Um, I know it sounds like quite a fun existence, doesn't it? Um, but when you look in the mirror, you know, you see, yes, the son or daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Edmonds or Mr. and Mrs. whoever else is in the room. Um, but is that all you are? Or to channel one of the greatest poets that ever lived, Drax from the Guardians of the Galaxy, why are you? 
And if you've seen the Guardians of the Galaxy, then if you haven't seen it, then that would have been lost on you just then. Um, but first of all, we learn from Jesus something very important. We learn from Jesus that we are never-ending spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. I want you to say this with me. Say, I am a never-ending spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. There's a lot to be unpacked in that. But essentially, you were intended by God. You're not an accident. And as for your life, you're not your body. You're not your brain. You are the sum total of your experiences. And you won't lose those experiences when your body dies. In fact, we're not the kind of beings that, can, that you can snuff out like a candle. This is what Jesus meant when he said, he who believes in me will never die. We are by nature unending. We will never stop existing. And there's nothing we can do about it. You see, we live at the intersection of two landscapes. One is visible and one is invisible. And the world we see now, you and I, ultimately were created by this invisible, if you like, spiritual landscape. And when Jesus came, he came to announce this invisible landscape, the kingdom of the heavens, he called it, which you might think of simply as an unseen dimension of reality that underpins this one. And when we talked about the VUCA world, the things that are going on around us, that's all the visible landscape. But Jesus came to announce something that was unseen. You know, um, some of you may have seen the BBC program, His Dark Materials. I'm quite a fan of anything that's sci-fi or fantasy. Um, and on the screen, you can see a picture of Will, who is carrying what's called a subtle knife. And he's learning how to sort of cut a hole in the fabric of time. I've just bought that for you. So if you were going to watch it, then um, I've just given you a heads up. Um, but I like this picture because it reminds us that although heaven is a different dimension, it's much nearer than we think. So who are you? We're spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That's a who. What about Jax's why question? If you look at the next slide, I want to quote from Dallas Willard, who, who says, in answer to this why question, says the aim of God in human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself included in the community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. This is God's purpose for overcoming evil with good, the creation of a community of loving persons, those who have, through following Jesus, progressively taken on the character of God. Now, you might argue about the extent to which the church reflects this purpose today, and that would be an interesting conversation. But from the very beginning of the world, God planned for us, his creation, to do life with him and eventually to be with him in a new age, free of hurt and ultimately free of death. Our life now is a preparation for an even greater future. In this next slide, I like, um, I like how the Black Panther put it in the Avengers movie. Um, you can see I like my movies. Um, in, in my culture, death is not the end. That's a very real hope that we have in Jesus. 
never-ending life. So what does our hope in Jesus reveal about where time and history is going? We've talked about who we are, who Jesus revealed us to be in our identity. But where is history going? You know, depending on how you cut up time, human beings, as far as we can tell, we've been here for maybe some thousands of years. A much shorter time if you compare that, I guess, to dinosaurs and well, mosquitoes and things like that. But where is it all going? The Bible is clear that there will be a major world event at some point where Jesus will return like a flash of lightning. And either immediately or soon after his return, he'll usher in a new reality, a new age. And we can see this all through the scriptures. And I want us to turn, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, to um, 1 Thessalonians. If you haven't, the, the uh, scripture will be on the, on the screen. But let's explore this further. To give you some context, the early Christian church at the time um, believed that Jesus was coming really soon, that his return was near. And so in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, um, what had happened was that someone had died in their community. And it raised a pastoral problem. You know, what happens to those who die before the Lord returns? Are they lost forever? Are they still part of the Christian community? Let's read from um, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians 13. It says, Beloved brothers and sisters, we want you to be quite certain about the truth concerning those who have passed away, so that you won't be overwhelmed with grief like those who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. We also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who died while believing in him. The Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, the shout of an archangel, and the trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. So Paul's intention is to encourage the early believers that Jesus is coming back. And that whilst we grieve, and some of you may be grieving those um, that are not with you, with us this year. And Paul says, yes, we can grieve, but we needn't grieve like those who have no hope. The New Testament uses the language of people falling asleep as a synonym for death, in that the person's body is like sleep, but they still exist. And Paul goes on to describe Jesus' return, which in the Greek is called the parousia, and that basically means the royal appearing. And it carries this idea of a king arriving and the people going out to meet him. And so when you read Paul, it sounds like quite a glorious occasion. Um, but to be honest, when I read this, it, it also felt a little bit intimidating. You know, trumpet blasts, shouted announcements, the dead rising. It's amazing to think that, you know, we're going to see our lost ones our lost loved ones, and I imagine looking across the crowd of people and thinking, oh, there's so-and-so, and there's so-and-so, and there's this person. And it's such a beautiful thing to think about. But then I, when I was reading this passage, I thought I can also imagine looking to my right and, you know, the dead are rising, so maybe someone's popping their eye back into their socket and, you know, slotting their, their legs back into their knee joints. And I was just thinking, Lord, is there a way of doing this that it doesn't feel like an episode of The Walking Dead, 
Because um, that, that was the picture I had. Um, now, there's more to say on that later, but essentially the message here from Paul is that, folks, death is not final. Your loved ones in Christ are not lost. So, um, you know, this, this uh, message could have been titled um, What Movies Have to Tell Us About Jesus because I've got another uh, scene from, uh, from another film. And uh, there's a scene in this beautiful movie called Stepmom. Uh, you might have seen it starring um, Susan Sarandon and Judah Roberts. Yeah, it's such a great movie. Um, uh, Georgia's in the corner. She's, she's, she's got it. She's got it. Um, and it's about a couple that are struggling to co-parent their children, um, Anna and Ben. And Jackie, the mum, ends up um, sadly getting cancer, but she doesn't tell the children straight away. Um, anyway, there's a scene on Christmas Day where Ben asks his mum, Jackie, um, if she's dying. And it's a really touching moment. Again, I've, I feel I've just spotted that for you if you haven't seen it. But hey, you could just, you know, when you watch it, pretend you didn't hear, hear what I've just said. Um, but so, so we see that per, uh, Jackie, the parent, is the mum, is living out her final days with cancer. Um, and, and Ben, the son, says, I'm worried I won't see you again. And her response is, well, Ben, we'll meet in our dreams. And, and that she'll always be in his heart, even though he won't see her body. And you see, Jackie's instincts weren't wrong, even if she seemed a bit hesitant. As believers, we have a far more confident expectation that we will indeed enjoy life in the new age together with Jesus and all who belong to him. In the end, Jesus is coming, his life, his resurrection is a reminder that death is simply the end of the beginning. So again, we think about this time of Christmas, the coming of Jesus. What does it mean for specifically what we can hope for? And what can we really expect? I think we have a mistaken view of heaven as some kind of final retirement center. You know, a kind of celestial Hilton Hotel. And neither do I think, you know, heaven is, eternity is going to be an endless church service in the way we've come to know at least. And that might be a relief for some people. Now, apart from the fact that the Bible clearly doesn't teach this, I also think this vision is too bland, it's too uncreative, and it just falls short of, this, of God's standards that he has for us. See, God's got a far bigger vision. I love this quote from um, C.S. Lewis, uh, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia author, and he gave a sermon called The Weight of Glory back in 1942. And this is what he says. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let's read that again. I think this is quite a profound statement. So let's go, go to that first line. It says, uh, C.S. Lewis says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward. You see, the Bible is clear. 
when Jesus comes, he will come with rewards. Revelations 22 says, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me. But it would seem our desires on earth are, are too weak, according to Lewis. Because drink, sex, ambition, you fill in the gaps is nothing compared to what Jesus is offering the world. And Lewis goes on to, to say it's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. What mud pies have you been making recently? Where have you settled for temporary pleasures over and above the life God offers? Are we investing more in this life than we are in the life to come? You know, one thing that became clear to me as I was preparing this message is I don't think a lot about this new age and, and the life that God has planned for us. It's not something that is in my mind often, to be honest. I didn't hear about it much when I was young in terms of what I was taught. And in fact, my mind still fuzzies a little bit when, when I think about it. But the truth is, as Paul says, we are indeed citizens of another reality. And I think C.S. Lewis was spot on. The Bible's replete with messages of this new age coming with rewards and banquets and God's children leading in official positions over cities. You see, God has the best in mind for us. Where we settle for simple comforts, God plan, God's plan far exceeds that which any of us can imagine. In fact, Paul put it this way. He said, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. Did you catch that? I am convinced, Paul said, that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. Let's think about this second coming for a moment. You know, imagine living in an atmosphere where there's no pain. There's no threat of doom. There's no sense of things are good now and something's going to go wrong, you know, a, a, a month away. Imagine the very air will be different. Nature will be different because there's no evil. As Isaiah said, uh, Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament, he said, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. A sinless environment. And we get a glimpse of this whenever you listen to a you know, beautiful piece of music or a great piece of art. You see a great piece of art. You know, these are all just a full taste. You know, essentially we don't have all the details, but one thing we do know is that everything we experience this side of eternity is only but a shadow of things to come. I recently upgraded my phone. I'm now an Android user and probably a heretic for some people. <laughs> and I must admit that the experience is far smoother it's the pictures are clearer, particularly the Google Pixel. Um, a little plug to Google. I get paid later, maybe. Um, and but but the reality is, when when Jesus returns, right, we can expect 
a far more significant upgrade, you know, a far more significant enhancement. You know, contrary to the Walking Dead imagery I mentioned earlier, actually the Bible teaches that we'll all receive new bodies. So I doubt we'll be seeing people, you know, popping their eyes back in their sockets. Um, you know, it's a reminder that at the resurrection, our ability to engage with God's creation, the physical, the material, will be reinstated. You know, mind, body, and soul. We won't be floating spirits with a, a harp in the cloud somewhere. Now, you know, the other question is whether you get, you know, to choose the body you like. I mean, that's another thing. I was thinking, Lord, if I wanted, someone wanted to be small, could they choose that? If they want to be tall? I don't know. I mean, that's just speculation. Um, but one thing is clear, and there was, there was someone who had a dream about heaven who said that um, she saw people when they looked like their brightest, most best selves. And that certainly aligns with Scripture, right? Because Jesus said in Matthew 13, then shall the righteous shine like the sun, talking about this new age. Some of you might remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was praying. What, was, what happened to him? He was shining so bright. You might also recall Moses when he was on the Mount and received the Ten Commandments. Uh, God had to cover him as his presence moved. And when he came down from the mountain, he was shining. He was so radiant that they had to cover his face with a veil. Again, I'm just reminded of Paul's message. The suffering we endure now is nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. So we're coming into the home straight now. Where does that leave us all today? We've talked about who we are and where history is going. We've said that you are a never-ending spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. We said Jesus came to announce the reality of God's realm, which he did through healing the sick and ultimately rising from the dead. And we've said that our life now is a preparation for an even greater future. But where does that leave us all today? You know, is there only encouragement to be found in the fact that at some point, in some undetermined future, Jesus will return and wrap this all up? Is that the only hope? Yesterday, uh, the UK government announced more stringent lockdown measures and tightened restrictions on inter-household movement over Christmas. And you know, these developments are apt to cause concern. But as I also mentioned, we live at the intersection of two landscapes, the visible and the invisible. And it's up to you, it's up to me, it's up to us where we choose to fix our attention. You see, the hope we have in Jesus is not only that he will return, but that this invisible landscape, the resources of heaven, are available to us now. Not somewhere afar off. That means we can pray over our city, our country, our family, our co-workers, and expect God to move. We may not always get the outcome we think we deserve, but as Jesus said, we ought to pray and not lose heart. We can find what God is doing now and where God is moving and partner with God in prayer. 
In short, we ought to expect the supernatural in our lives. We ought to expect illogical results that are not commensurate with our own efforts. Think about your own life. And I'm saying this to myself as much as I'm sharing this with you. Are you seeing the supernatural in your life? Are you seeing illogical results which don't make sense, which, are, which go beyond your own efforts? Because this also represents the hope we have in Jesus. But it means rising up, folks. It means not letting the cares of the world keep us down. It really does. You know, I've seen how lockdown, not to mention, you know, the constant Zoom marathons, have really left me feeling heavy and lethargic. But the moment I begin to worship, and I felt that again, just as Chloe and the team were, were singing and playing, the moment we begin to worship and we actively press into God, it's then we see things for what they really are. It's then we remember that we don't have to let the present challenges dictate to us how we feel. Finally, Jesus' imminent return means this present world system is indeed coming to an end. But I want you to know, and particularly if you don't call yourself a Christian or, or, or you know, you're listening for the first time, God is not trying to keep people out of heaven. I believe he's willing to let anyone in that can stand it. In fact, Peter in the New Testament writes about People who were complaining, saying since Jesus' resurrection, everything has continued as normal and there was no second coming. If we read from First uh, Peter um, chapter 4, I believe it is, it should be coming on the screen. It says, so what about the promise of his coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried, yet everything is the same since the beginning until now. And this is what Peter says. He says, like a thousand years, says, don't let this one thing escape your notice. A single day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years counts as one day. That means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return, as some measure lateness. But rather, and here, check this out, rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience toward you. Because he does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So, back to the question of where does that all leave us? Where does it leave you and I? Well, if you're unsure about whether you belong to Jesus or up until now you've kept Jesus at a distance, clearly this moment represents an opportunity to receive God. And I hope that you will. But if you take anything away from today, remember this, you will never cease existing. And we know this because of the reality and authority of Jesus. Jesus has removed and abolished death. And in Christ, God has stopped counting our sins. God has stopped holding our imperfection against us. This is reality. And there's nothing we can do about it. Certainly there's nothing I want to do about it. The question for you today, I think, is 
where will you be in 500 years' time? Have you ever thought about that? What will your life be like? You see, when the world thinks about death and the world thinks about um, this present system, what carries with it is often a sense of gloom. But I want to submit to you today that God's plan for us as his children far exceeds anything we can imagine, both now and in the life to come. I certainly look forward to a whole life where we're free of pain, free of tears, free of death. And some of you might be listening to this thinking, well, I'm just trying to get through today, get through tomorrow, get through to next week. And I hear that. I want you to also know that the resources of heaven are exactly what you need. Father, I thank you for the reality of Jesus coming. Not just as a child, but also in the parousia, in that second coming. And I thank you for every single person listening out there. I pray, Father, that you would touch their hearts with the truth of our identity in you. That you love us so much. You see, the greatest thing about God isn't that he loves us, actually. It's that he is love. That the ultimate source of the world is love. So, Father, I pray that folks listening this morning or whenever they're listening will receive your love into their hearts. I pray that you'd bring what we've shared. Make it come alive in our hearts calls us to be ravished, to be caught up, to be arrested in our hearts. And we thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you will indeed never leave us and never forsake us. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.